If you're joining us by live stream, we want to welcome you also. And if you're visiting with us for the first time this morning, we've got a few first-time guests. Thank you for being here. Uh, it's our privilege to have you join us. And we want you to know that here at East LJ Baptist Church, we have been captivated by Christ. Uh, what does that mean? It means that in Jesus, we have seen and we cannot unsee the glory of God, which is His grace and His mercy to forgive and justify Sinners like us through his perfect life, his sin-atoning death, and his resurrection, and to continue to save us through his ongoing reign, even now, in heaven. Uh, and he's captivated us. That message, that reality, has captured our hearts. And so it's our prayer that you, too, uh, will see and embrace the beauty of, of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that you'll find yourself captivated by him before our time's over today. Several announcements as we begin. Uh, this morning we had our uh, Pray For Me campaign reboot gathering. That's what you see here on the uh, table in front of me. Um, and if you weren't able to attend or if you're visiting with us and don't know what that is, let me just give you the lowdown real quick. Pray For Me is a, um, a ministry that we um, uh, started uh, or, or began to participate in uh, about four years ago. And it is a transgenerational prayer movement where we link adults with middle school and high school students. And the, the founder of the Pray For Me campaign, Tony Souter, uh, his heart was to get a team of adults praying for our students. Forty to fifty percent of not their kids, but our kids, uh, church kids, kids that are in, in church and in youth group. In, in middle school and high school, 40 to 50 percent of them leave the church right after high school when they go off to college, and then up to 80 percent by the, by the time they turn 29. So we began this four years ago. It's been a great thing for us as adults, as well as uh, crossing a, a gap that very rarely is crossed in a, in a church, and that is the generational gap between our, some of our senior adults and our teenagers. And so it's been an awesome thing. Uh, the, the most famous of our stories is uh, one of our 80, mid-80-year-old ladies who was praying for a 16-year-old girl but only had a flip phone. This, is, this was year one. Uh, couldn't text her. Did, did, to my knowledge, still doesn't text. Um, but every morning on the way to school, would call this young 16-year-old girl, and, and they talk on the telephone. And a, and a great relationship developed. Other folks that I know of have... Uh, attended ball games of their students. And so if you're not part of the Pray For Me campaign, either as a student or in as, a, as a prayer champion, and you want to be part of that, then let me know. We'll get you connected. Uh, there's sign-up sheets right up here. You can sign up, and uh, we'll make you part of that. It's been a great blessing to all of us uh, here at East LJ. Second thing this morning, immediately following our worship service today, we're going to be having a meeting for all youth and children's workers and parents, all parents of our children and our youth, we're going to meet in the choir room uh, just down the hall out this way. Uh, we need your input as we begin to formulate a job description and form a search committee for a new staff member to serve in the areas of children and youth. My goal today is to keep this meeting to about 30 minutes, this initial meeting, unless you guys just are overflowing with so much stuff we can't get it done that quickly. Um, I plan, I'm going to try to keep us uh, out of the ditches and keep us on track and moving in the right direction. So uh, join us. Uh, you, 
hopefully you've already heard about that, parents, but if that's your first time, uh, give us a half hour after church and we'll, we'll uh, gather your input uh, so that we can move forward in this process. A third announcement is that is tonight at 4 o'clock this afternoon, uh, the You Are Here event, which is replacing the Spring D now for our teenagers, uh, is happening at the Victory Christian Center at 4 o'clock, from 4 to 8.30. Uh, we're going to be dealing with who you are, uh, teenagers, in Christ and what that means in, uh, for your past, present, and future. So join us uh, over at the Victor Christian Center at 4 o'clock. Next Sunday morning, November the 22nd, as a church family, we'll enjoy communion. We'll uh, commune together with the Lord at the Lord's table. So prepare your hearts for that uh, and join us next Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. Also, two weeks from today, Sunday, November the 29th, immediately following our morning worship service, we'll have our regular church conference uh, of special interest on the agenda for that meeting will be the presentation of two new deacon candidates. These two men will be uh, presented uh, for, for our set-aside and examination period of six months. Uh, and if all goes well, and, and after they attend our leadership meetings and still think they want to be part of that, uh, at that point we will present them for ordination and then proceed with, uh, with all that uh, at, at that point. So plan to be, be with us, uh, church members, Sunday, November 29th, immediately after the morning worship service. This is the point after announcements where I normally thank somebody for something you do. I try to just I want you to know how much we appreciate your service in the, in the local church. And so this is normally where I do that. And uh, last week I thanked uh, the finance committee and, and, and some other people uh, for, for things they've been doing. But this morning, I want to give a very special thank you to an unknown one of you. I've been on a covert investigative mission to try to figure out who you are. Uh, but you're good. You're really smart. And I hadn't figured out who you are yet. Now, to fill the rest of you in who I'm not talking to and don't have any idea what I'm talking about, I've got this unknown brother that, uh, that's all I know about him. It's a, it's a man, and he knows Jesus. And he's mailed me a completely anonymous letter uh, of encouragement for the past 11 weeks, and every week, Sometimes they're two pages, handwritten long, uh, sharing his heart uh, based on the, the word that's been preached, writing out application uh, to, his per, to his own life um, based on the previous Sunday and just encouraging me. Now, he's done that also when I've been out and my daddy's preached. So he's commented on uh, daddy's message or Michael Harp's message and and, and, and whoever, um, one of the funniest things he uh, said was um, he, he called my dad. He said, it must, it's, it's got to be good having a dad that can fill the pulpit for, for you. It's kind of like having Pete Rose pinch hit for you. So that was a clue maybe. So baseball fans, I got I to gotta, I gotta keep going. Anyway, um, this is a big deal because I've never received a positive anonymous letter. Y'all tracking with me? <laughs> Brother Stacy Dyer, our new associational missionary, is here with me, and he just gave a fist, because here's the deal. As preachers, we've all received the anonymous 
letters of, if you ask the, the anonymous author who you can't find because they're an arrogant coward, they would tell you that it was a word of encouragement for you. But it was rather constructive encouragement, right? But this guy, I'm telling you, it's been a great encouragement. I don't know who you are. Um, but it's been a great encouragement. And, 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 you know, the main reason is this. Not because I've got a nice letter, but it's because somebody has taken the word preached and just applying it to their lives and taking time to write it out. That's why pastors do what we do. That's, why we, that's the whole point. So I just want to say thank you to whoever you are. And I don't even need to know who you are. In fact, I've kind of liked not knowing who you are. I thought I had you figured out three different times. I think I'm done. I don't want to know. I just want to get the letters. Please don't stop. Would you join me in standing as we read from the Word of God, John chapter 10, verse 14. In John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking. He's talking about himself as the, the good and great shepherd of the sheep. And here's what he says in, in verses 14 to 18. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, meaning folks like us Gentiles, as he's speaking, speaking mainly to Jews here. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because... I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Listen to this. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Jesus said, I'm the great and good shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. And here's the deal on that sacrifice. Nobody makes me do it. In, in the annals of history, even in the gospel record at points, it looks like men overcame Jesus and killed him. But Jesus said, I voluntarily laid my life down for my sheep. Why? Because I love my sheep. This is the charge the Father gave to me. The whole reason I came to the planet is to, is to bring a mission of mercy and to lay my life down for, for those whom God would rescue from their sin and make his own sons and daughters. Aren't you thankful that we know Jesus came on a mission of mercy? And aren't you thankful to be recipients of his mission of mercy? You have everlasting mercy in Christ. You cannot out the grace of God ever if you are in Christ today. Now, you ought not try, amen, but you can't. It's not by works. It is 100% by the grace of Jesus who, on, of his own accord, because he wanted to, because he loves you, he laid down his life. There's a world of people you live around, you work with them, they're your neighbors, they're your family members who don't, who don't know that. Or maybe they've heard it but not yet embraced it, and, and you need to be the voice that challenges them to consider the gospel again, to consider the mission of mercy of Jesus Christ for them again. But there's also nations, unreached people groups all around the world uh, who have yet to even hear the gospel. They've yet to even hear the name of Jesus. They don't, maybe they've heard it in passing, but they have no idea what he's done. 
They don't know he loves them. They don't know that he laid his life down to die for them of his own free will. He wanted to do it. Groups like the Lurie of southern Iran, a Muslim people group of 1,019,000 with no evangelical witness among them. So let's pray together for uh, your neighbors and the nations. I also want us to pray uh, this morning for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Just in the last year, 2,983 Christians around the world were killed for their faith. That's eight of our brothers and sisters a day that died in the last 365 for Jesus. 3,711 were arrested or imprisoned, and 9,488 churches or church buildings were attacked because they were Christian churches. And so let's pray for our brothers and sisters. Also this morning, two, uh, two folks close to us or that we've come to learn about this morning that we want to pray for. Connor Wimpy had a uh, four-wheeler wreck last night. Bad break. Looks like probably surgery tomorrow. So we want to be praying for Connor and for that, uh, that surgery to go well. Also, Stacy um, and Diane Dyer are with us, uh, our new director of missions for the association. Um, and they have friends whose three-year-old uh, son, Case Bramlett, had to be put on life support early in, early in the week, and the parents are at this, at this time at a place of having to make the decision to, to take him off of life support. It's a three-year-old young man, Case Bramlett, so we want to pray for Case and also the, the Bramlett family. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we come to you today praising your great and beautiful name. Father, it was your heart that before eternity began, drew up the beautiful plan that we call the gospel, the good news of Jesus. It was your charge that sent the Son to live a perfect life in our place, to die on the cross as the full atonement for our sins and to rise again in victory over sin, bringing us everlasting and complete and full mercy from holy God and making holy God who was our judge to be our Father. Lord, we pray for our neighbors, co-workers, family members. And we pray that you'd make us bold to talk about Jesus, to tell them about your mercy, to challenge them even if they've heard it before, before it's everlastingly too late. And God, how we pray that you would raise up people from this room to even covertly take the gospel to southern Iran, to the Lurie people, that this one million strong people group would be penetrated with the gospel. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters the world over who are being persecuted this morning, who cannot, without any persecution and in all freedom, get up, get dressed, and drive to a church building and meet. They have to hide. They may die. They may be killed if they're caught with the Word of God, are worshiping together in the name of Jesus. And so we lift them up to you, Father, praying for your strength and your encouragement to them. May they be faithful even unto death, for we know that you have a special place and a special heart for those who die in your name. Lord, we pray for Connor today, that you'd give him relief from the pain, that you would give doctors wisdom as they look to surgery tomorrow. Father, we lift up this young young boy, Lord, and his family, Case Bramlett, the whole Bramlett family. We can't imagine being in that moment where they are today. 
But thank you that you are the God of all comfort. You're the great and good shepherd of your sheep. Draw near to them. Hold them. Strengthen them. Father, thank you for your mercy. And we just pray, God, that you would work in this situation and sustain. We pray, uh, God, because we pray to the God who made all things and to the Savior who sustains all things by the word of his power. Uh, We pray, Father, for miraculous healing right now in this moment that you would act on Case's body and heal him. You can do that. You You made the universe. It's a small thing if you so choose. So we call on you to do that if, you would, if, it, if it be your will. But we trust your wisdom is far greater than ours. And we ask that you flesh it all out, Lord, according to your perfect and, and all-wise plan. You are worthy of our praise. And so may your name be exalted high as we sing and as the word is preached a little bit later. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Remain standing as we worship in song. Glad you all joined with us this morning. We're going to spend some time in worship by song. We're going to sing Living Hope.
Y'all can be seated during this next song, but if you want to jump up and shout or raise your hands or whatever you want to do in worship, that's always great. Our goal is to worship God in spirit and in truth.
Father, this morning, we just bow our hearts before you, thanking you for the living hope that we have because Jesus, having died in our place and paid in full the price of your justice toward our sin, Like a roaring lion, he came out of the grave and he lives today. He is our living hope. And surely, Lord, Lord Jesus, if you surrendered to the will of the Father to save me, then God help us, even through the time of this message now, to surrender to the will of the Father, and even follow our great shepherd down the path of suffering in a ministry just like his of mercy. That every man, woman, boy, or girl, all eight billion souls where we see the image of God might hear and know of the Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that your spirit would be our teacher right now. How we thank you for the written word of God. Thank you for your presence, O living word of God, by the spirit of Jesus Christ in this room. And we pray for your power, both in the preaching and in the hearing. And we pray for your work of transformation in our lives. I pray, God, some would be saved today. But that we as your church would every Sunday be revived and changed. That our lives would bring you, our precious Savior, more consistent glory and honor. For you are worthy. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, we'll dismiss the Children's Church. And as they're making their way out to Children's Church this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, verses, we're going to be looking at verses 51 to 62. Luke chapter 9. Verses 51 
to 62. And again, thank you to all of our children's workers who uh, make nursery happen, make children's Sunday school and youth Sunday school happen. Also this morning now, children's church during, during this time of uh, the message. <clears throat> it was Mark Twain that said, most people are bothered by those passages of Scripture which they cannot understand. But as for me, he said, I have always noticed that the passages of Scripture which trouble me most are those which I do understand. Can I get an amen? Well, you ought to know we're coming to just such a passage this morning. We come to a passage in Scripture that, uh, where we find the clear and, and yet very pointed words of Jesus. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, they're going to bother you. They're not hard to understand, but they're troubling. They're unsettling and they're uncomfortable. I want to talk to you this morning from Luke 9, beginning in verse 51, about following Jesus, a radical mission of mercy. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What is following Jesus? Following Jesus is a radical mission of mercy. Here's the truth that these verses from Luke 9, verses 51 to 62 captures. This is what I want you to, to, to jot down, take home. The call to follow Jesus is a call to live out His radical mission of mercy in your world. What does it mean to follow Jesus? The call to follow Jesus is a call from Jesus for you to live out His radical mission of mercy in your world. That's what it means to follow Him. Luke chapter 9, we'll pick it up in verse 51. And since you got to sit down on that last song, would you stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, When the days drew near for Him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, that is, Jesus now addresses another follower, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so what we see in these verses, you may be seated. And so what we see in these verses, very clear, very pointedly, 
is that the call to follow Jesus is a call to live out His radical mission of mercy in your world. So this morning, if you're here and you've never started following Jesus, before you start to follow Jesus, this is a message you need to hear. If you're here this morning and you've been following Jesus a long time, before you take another step in your attempt to follow Jesus, this is a message we all need to hear. The call to follow Jesus is a call to live out His radical mission of mercy in your world. From verse 51, first of all this morning, I want you to see, I want you to remember how Jesus saved us. Remember how Jesus saved us. We've already said it. Jesus came on a mission of mercy and by his life, death, and resurrection accomplished salvation for us. Gained, bought mercy for you and for me. Verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. We need to remember how Jesus saved us. He came on a mission of mercy. Because you see, how he saved us is exactly how we're to serve him. We're to live out his mission of mercy. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, the first part of verse 51 speaks of Jesus ultimately being taken up to heaven. Some translations translate it that way. It's a good translation because this word is used in another place over in Mark 16, 19 to speak of Jesus' liftoff from planet earth after the resurrection when the disciples watched him ascend into heaven. This, this word is used there. And so when, Jesus, when, it, when, when, when Luke says here, uh, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he's saying it was getting close to the time that Jesus was going back to heaven. So what did Jesus do? He set his face to Jerusalem. These words refer to Jesus being taken up to heaven to his father after his suffering on the, and, and, and dying on the cross, being raised from the dead. And here in this text, to that end, to that end of being with the father again, to, to that ultimate goal of being exalted to the father's right hand, Jesus, it says, set his face to go to Jerusalem. Well, what was going to happen in Jerusalem? What's Luke assuming that we already know, and, and in fact we should know if we've been following along in the, in the book of Luke, that these boys he's traveling with, his disciples, they should have known what he meant when he referred to Jerusalem. What was going to happen in Jerusalem? He had to go to Jerusalem. He, he set his face. Just, just, just kind of imagine like dialing in a, it's deer season. Dialing in a scope on the kill spot of a deer. Uh, a, a laser beam. Putting a laser beam right on the target. That's, that's the way Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem where he would walk the necessary path of suffering and death by crucifixion to pay for the sins of the world. And then in victorious resurrection he would, he would come out of that grave and finally ascend to the right hand of the Father to reign with Him forever. You see, this wasn't news to the disciples, or at least it shouldn't have been. Back in Luke 9, verse 22, the text there says, Jesus speaking, talking to the 
to the disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. In the same chapter, we find ourselves just a few verses after that, Luke 9, verse 44, Jesus had even pled with his disciples to hear and accept this future mission of his. In Luke 9, 44, he said to them, let these words sink into your ears. I mean, that's, that, that means, will you please, please hear what I'm about to say? Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Let it sink into your ears. Hear my words, and here's what i got to tell you. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And that wasn't for good. That was for death. But they didn't get it either time. Because Luke chapter 9, verse 45 says, They did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it, and they were afraid to ask him anything about this saying. So as we come to our passage this morning in Luke 9, 51 and following, they still don't get The mission of mercy Jesus came to perform. They still see Jesus as a king headed to Jerusalem to be crowned as an earthly king and live in a palace. But Jesus has his face set on his real mission, on his mission of mercy. And Jesus would even more clearly say it later in Luke 18 verse 31. It says there that he took the twelve and said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Listen, he knew exactly what he was headed for. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, the Romans, the only ones that could crucify were the Romans, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit spit upon. Listen. What did Jesus know was about what was coming? And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. He knew everything that he would face in Jerusalem. Nothing that happened to Jesus during Passion Week, during the week of his sufferings, and all the way to the point when his body was placed in that tomb, nothing was a surprise he knew at all. That's why Luke 9.51 is such an important and pivotal and key verse. In the Gospel of Luke, from this point on, it is all about Jesus going to the cross. And what's so amazing in this verse is it says, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew exactly what he would face, but he still set his face to go there, to suffer, to die, a torturously painful death, one of the most brutal deaths ever conceived of by mankind in all of human history, and to be buried for three days. You see, this was a determined choice. He set his face. A determined choice of a path of suffering, of immense pain, of physical torment, of vicious whippings and mockings, and, and, and not to mention the anguish of his soul when his Father, for the first time for all of eternity past up to that moment, would forsake him because he bore all of my sin and yours on that Roman crucifix and the wrath of God was poured out on him. Jesus set his face. He came on a mission of mercy and he, he came on a mission of mercy on his own. He made the choice. That's why John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. 
Let me just say this. Nobody's ever laid down their life for their friends like Jesus laid down his life for us. John 10, verse 18. No one takes it from me, Jesus said. We read it earlier. But I lay it down of my own accord. I set my face to go to Jerusalem. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You see, we've got to remember how Jesus saved us. We've got to remember that Jesus' mission was mercy. He saved us by laying his life down of his own accord. That's important because how Jesus saved us, remembering how he saved us, helps us realize what Jesus means when he calls us to follow him. Remembering that Jesus came on a mission of mercy helps us understand that the call to follow Jesus is a call to live out that same radical mission of mercy in our world. Remember how Jesus saved us. But secondly, this morning from verses 52 to 62, realize what Jesus means when he calls us to follow him. Again, the call to follow Jesus is a call to follow, to, to live out his radical mission of mercy in your world. What does this radical mission of mercy look like for us? Obviously, us living out a mission of mercy in this world doesn't save anybody, right? We all tracking? There is a similarity but a dissimilarity in our ministries of mercy between ours and Jesus's. Amen? Y'all got it? So what does it look like for us to live out this radical mission of mercy? Well, in short, it's the Great Commission, Right? It's going into all the world and making disciples, no matter what it takes, until Jesus comes. But Jesus, in our text for this morning, makes it clear that to follow him includes at least the following four elements. This radical mission of mercy includes includes at least the following four things. Notice with me, first of all, in verses 52 to 55, when Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to be merciful to all. To be merciful to all. Verse 52, he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, those sons of thunder, they thundered. Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? How dare you reject? How dare they reject you? But he turned and did what? Bragged on them, said, that's right, boys. That's, that's exactly what they deserve. They deserve some hellfire. Yeah, y'all, why don't y'all go give that to them? He turned, it says, and rebuked them. They said the wrong thing. They had the wrong picture of what their ministry in this world was all about. This might be a good place just to do a little princess and say, there's a lot of people in the church all across America that have a wrong view of what their ministry in this world is all about. It's a ministry of mercy. Until he comes. The Samaritans' rejection of Jesus? We don't know. It could have simply been because he, he was a Jew and not a Samaritan. By the way, hated each other. Hated like probably we can't, can't really fathom. The Samaritans hated the Jews. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half-breed Jews, part Jew and part not. Hated by the, by the Jews. But because of that, they, were also, they hated the, the, the Jews just as much. It could have been a totally racial hatred, a totally racial discrimination here as to why they rejected Jesus when he came. Or it could have been that they rejected Jesus religiously because he recognized Jerusalem as the right place for the temple to be and the worship of Yahweh to happen. 
They saw Mount Gerizim in, in their part of the world as, as that place. They had a, a, the Samaritan Pentateuch, and that was it. Their scriptures were just the first five books and a corrupt version of that. But they thought their way was the right way, albeit the heretical way, actually. Could have been either one, most likely. It's probably some of both. Racial hatred, religious superiority complex or inferiority, whatever. They just, they, just, they just hated them. But what's most important in this story is the way Luke takes this, this reality and, 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 and makes the point. It, it's, it's how James and John respond to the rejection. And how Jesus rebukes them. That's what's really important here, isn't it? They're responding to this scene, James and John, the sons of thunder. They're responding to this scene as if it were unexpected or out of sync with Jesus' mission of mercy on earth. They're acting like something's wrong, that people would reject Jesus. And they were probably thinking of the time Elijah in 2 Kings 1 had men sent to him by Ahab, and Ahab was going to tell Elijah what to do. So he sent a group of 50 men. And Elijah said, "Uh, no, God tells me what to do. And if I'm the man of God, let fire fall and consume these 50 guys that are coming to hurt me. And guess what happened? Fire fell and 50 died. So King Ahab found out about it, sent 50 more. How'd you like to be that bunch? Guess what? Same song, different verse. Those 50 died. A third group went. And that captain of those 50 begged for mercy. And Elijah and the Lord granted him mercy. But 100 died. So so maybe they're thinking about that. They're thinking, hey. I mean. We were just with old Elijah the other day up on the mountain. I mean, we're, we're, kind of, we're kind of tight with Elijah. So I kind of think about Elijah. Hey, hey, we saw Elijah. We remember that story. We've been talking that story in Second King. Man, this is a good time for the fire deal. And they were beginning to believe Jesus had some kind of unique, maybe they didn't fully understand his whole deal, but they, 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 they could tell he got some special power from heaven, right? So they're thinking, man, would it not be cool if we asked Jesus and he said yes? Let fire fall on these wicked Samaritans. We don't like them anyway. (laughs) They got it all messed up. This is our chance. And he's kind of on a roll of these, you know, miracle things. He's doing a lot of neat stuff. He even let us do some wild things and, and, and be involved in his ministry. Why not? Hey, Jesus, do you want us to call fire down? But you see at heart... They're responding this way because they still fully expected a political savior who was about to judge all of the wicked and set up an earthly kingdom in Jerusalem and put them in places, put them in places of authority over their fellow Jews and make them judges and enforcers over low life types, like, in their opinion, these Samaritans. And so Jesus rebukes them. He's, he's like, guys, you don't get it. You do not understand my mission of mercy. You're totally out of line. Because you see, my mercy is for all. My mercy, in fact, and this isn't the first time there's this Jew-Samaritan tension where Jesus said, you 
You love Samaritans because my mercy is for Samaritans. My mercy is not just for Jews, it's for Samaritans. You do remember the parable of the good Samaritan, right? And the whole point is, who's the hero in the story? <laughs> At the story being told to Jews, the Samaritan. The one who really loved and looked like God was the one they hated. His mercy is for all. Is for all. His mercy is even, in this case, for half-breed, heretically, heretical, theologically speaking, Samaritans. The disciples' misunderstanding of Jesus led to a real misunderstanding of what it meant for them to follow him. They were expecting power and glory and, and fame when they got to Jerusalem. So let me just ask you a question. Does following Jesus mean we're on a mission of judging the world for Jesus? Like the disciples thought? Let fire fall on this world of sinners. Is this troubling you yet? To refer back to Twain? I mean, we're real clear, aren't we? You don't need a lot of commentary on these words of Jesus, do you? But how troubling. Does following Jesus mean we're on a mission of judging the world for Jesus? No, it does not. Hear me, it absolutely does not. Jesus rebuked them. And if that's what you think it means to follow Jesus, then Jesus is right now rebuking you. It's not what it means to follow Jesus. He came on a mission of mercy. Ours is a mission of mercy. Does following Jesus, on the other hand, mean we are on a mission of mercy to our world just like Jesus? Bingo. Now you got it. Now we're where we need to be. You see, following Jesus means that we follow in his steps, crucifying our desires in order to live for his way, which means the New Testament is clear and in agreement. It means suffering, even martyrdom for some, that people from every people group can hear about the suffering servant Savior who lived a perfect life in their place, became their substitute, and died in our place as the Lamb of God who fully satisfied the wrath of God against my sin and yours and theirs, and then rose in victory, proving that he had paid it all. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Now, Jesus will one day return and set up his visible and eternal reign over all powers. And he'll do the judging. Amen? Y'all with me? He'll make it all right. And one day we will reign forever with him. But that day, listen to me, that day's not today. That day doesn't come till he returns. Now Jesus reigns today. But he doesn't judge today. It's still a time of mercy. The mission for his church. By the way, Jesus is the one who completes the mission of mercy. He started it when he was here. He brought us mercy. And just be real crystal clear. You don't ever serve Jesus in the sense that you do something for him that you can do on your own without him. If you serve Jesus, it's only because he enables you to serve him. When, when, when we are being used in, 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 on this mission of mercy, today is the church. Jesus, who indwells each and every one of us, we are all members of the what? Body of who? Christ. 
We're unified by the Spirit of Christ. What's really happening is Jesus is still getting the mission of mercy accomplished through us, but he's enabling us to be his hands and feet. We sing songs about that, Joe, about being the hands and feet of Jesus. That's what it is. But it's us, it's, it's him empowering us. Do you remember what he said in Luke 9, verse 23? He said to all, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me at all, if you're going to follow me, period, here's what it's about. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. That means crucify yourself on that cross every day and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. In Luke 14, 27, Jesus said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, listen to what he says, cannot be my disciple. So what does that mean? It means that if you're not waking up every day, denying yourself, taking up your cross and following him, waking up every day saying no to self, saying yes to Jesus, putting your desires on a cross and, and killing them so that you can know and, and obey his desires. What Jesus just said is you cannot be his disciples. There's no other way to follow him. Like there's not a level, entry level of following Jesus. Where you just say a prayer, say the sinner's prayer, get baptized, you're good. And, you, and you're just kind of an A-level follower, low-level follower. And then there's another level for those who kind of want to get real serious and like suffer and you know, all that, if, they, if, they, if you really get into that. Then you take another level up and you're still at level two. There, there's no levels. Jesus said either you die to self and follow me or you don't follow me. Again, y'all bothered yet? It's amazing. <clears throat> so here they are. Jesus said, hey, my mercy's for all. Later on, after the birth of the early church, as recorded in the book of Acts, we find a Jesus follower that got what Jesus was talking about. His name's Philip, and, and, and look where Philip ends up in Acts 8 verses 4 to 6. Now those who were scattered, so what happened is the church was born in Jerusalem at Pentecost. It grew, but then it, it came under persecution at the leadership of then Saul of Tarsus, right? And it got so bad that the believers had to scatter out of Jerusalem. And when that happened, this is the next verse, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip, one of the deacons chosen at the church in Jerusalem, went down to the city of Samaria the city of what? Where? Hello. <laughs> and proclaimed to them Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. Huh. Jesus is totally sovereign, but just from a human standpoint, think about it. What if Jesus let those boys call fire down? How many souls would have went immediately to hell? No chance for the grace and mercy of God. Jesus knew what was coming. It's part of his plan. He has mercy for all, even the Samaritans. Even whoever it is in your life that you hate, that you just really can't stand. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to be merciful to all. We're on a mission of mercy just as Jesus was and continues to be through us. When Jesus calls us to follow him, secondly, though, I want you to see this in verses 57 and 58. He calls us to find our heart's home in Him, not our house and comfortable lifestyles. 
Verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. This guy was proud of himself. He's like, man, Jesus, I'm with you. I'm all in. And you know what would have happened right there with any good modern-day evangelist? They would have capitalized on this moment, Brother Stacy. They would have said, hey, I got a live one right here. We're fixing to get this one on the books. I will follow you. Oh, man, heck yeah, come on then. I mean, they'd, they'd, they'd have got this old boy down the aisle. I mean, just imagine the service. They'd had him in, 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 in the altar, Freddie, praying the sinner's prayer. And, and by the end of that, that, that service, they recorded him as one soul, one to the kingdom. Hallelujah. We, we had one saved this morning in church. Praise God. But not Jesus. I mean, y'all tracking? Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you'll go. I mean, I mean, I want you, Jesus. What does Jesus say to that? <laughs> it's interesting. He was never a quick, it was never a quick and easy sale with Jesus, and never a quick and easy deal with Jesus. Because Jesus was never about recording converts and getting momentary decisions, but rather Jesus was about calling and making lifelong followers who knew before their first step the cost of following him and knew that if they really were following him, they would suffer for him. And so Jesus said to him in verse 58, that's great, but you need to know some things. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But the Son of Man, me, the guy you're wanting to follow, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. You need to know that the cost of following me, you need to know the cost of following me before you make this big declaration and pack your bags, you need to know we do a lot of camping. We get rejected a lot, just like we did in Samaria. Wasn't the first time, by the way. Other towns all around Galilee had rejected him. We don't know where we're going to spend the night a lot of nights. And so I'm just wanting you to know you're all gung-ho, you're having this emotional moment, you've, got some, you've seen something that excited you about me. But here's the deal, I want you to understand there's a cost. Jesus makes it clear that following Him means to find our hearts home in Him, not in our house. In our comfortable lifestyles. I mean, is that, is, again, that's not unclear, is it? But man, it's bothersome. Now, Jesus' words here are not some kind of law being laid down by Jesus that says you can't own a home and have nice stuff. Maybe, if Jesus allows it in your individual life, you can, maybe. But Jesus' point without reservation or apology here is, what if he doesn't allow you to? What if Jesus for you says no house? An apartment. You see, the, the question Jesus is asking is do you love me more than your roach-free, mouse-free, ant-free, dust-free house, your plush furniture, your efficient HVAC unit that keeps the temperature just right, your big screen TV with surround sound? Do you love me more than that? What Jesus is asking me, and he's asking you, is if I, if I call you to sell it all, if I call you to go live in a big city to teach refugees, to reach refugees with the gospel, 
would you do it? And still have joy in me that couldn't be touched while you live in a roach-infested apartment with an on-and-off-again HVAC system in a rough part of town where it's not safe. Will you still want to follow me then? Are you really even talking about following me? Or have you conjured up this idea of Christianity and, and serving Jesus that's not even biblical? And that's really you, all you want of me. Are you really following me? Are you finding satisfaction in me? Or is it easy just to identify with me? Since you've got all you could want at your house. Jesus would say to us, if you're expecting comfort out of this, if you're jumping into this deal because you think we're going into the kingdom and you're going to be living in a palace at ease like the disciples thought they were headed to, you got it wrong. I can't promise you that. In fact, I can promise you the opposite of that. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to find our hearts home in him, not our house and comfortable lifestyles. Thirdly, when Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to relate to him as our closest family, not our blood relatives. Y'all okay now? Troublesome. Bothersome words. Listen to what he says. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now that sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? This is probably the most harsh statement in this passage. That, I mean, that's pretty rough. And I'm not going to try to undo it. I'm not, I mean, Jesus said it, you read it, it's for you to deal with. But the point here, based on the culture that we know of in, in that day, John MacArthur says the point here is his father wasn't dead. <laughs> the point was his father wasn't even dead. He's not saying the body is laying at the house waiting to be buried and you don't get to go bury your dad, you got to come with me. The deal is, he wouldn't be there with Jesus if his dad was dead. Because here's the deal. They didn't embalm in the Jewish culture. They buried him the same day. So he would have been tied up. He wouldn't have even seen Jesus on this particular day. He's saying, look, I've lived too long to leave now without my inheritance. Huh. There it comes. There's the real motivation. Not some great family sentiment. Love for father, but love for money. I'll follow you, Jesus, but, but I was just listening to the conversation you had with that other guy, and you said that you don't have anywhere to lay your head. The, the resources are pretty meager here. You can't promise us anything. No prosperity gospel here. So I think it would be better for me if I just hung around and, 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 I, and, I, and, I, and I waited till I got what I'd been waiting to get for all these years after daddy dies. I'll pad my pockets, and then when I'm in, in, in a good fallback position, you know, if things work out, I, I want to follow you. By the way, this phrase, I must bury my father, it's, 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 it's still a familiar Middle Eastern statement used today. And when they use it and they say, I must bury my father, they mean I must stay at home until he's gone so that I can bring his estate to its final point and so that I can receive my inheritance. It's what they mean today. I'll follow you someday, Jesus. When mom and daddy's gone and I've gotten what I need, 
Say he's attracted to Jesus. Who wouldn't be? But he's amazed at the power while loving money. Jesus says that the time to follow him is now. Not when you get that inheritance that will fund you for the rest of your life. Yet another said, verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And again, it sounds so harmless. Let me, just, let me just tell the family goodbye. Luke 14, verse 26, here's what Jesus had to say about this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my Disciples. These guys are making excuses. They're stalling. They're saying they want to follow, but they're not willing to follow. And Jesus is saying that not even family allegiance responsibilities should surpass our allegiance to his call should the two ever clash. Hear me, many times the two won't clash. I thank God that my family wanted me to, to, to love Jesus and follow Jesus and pursue Jesus. Maybe that's true for most of you in this room. And yet, without a doubt, there will be times for many of us, perhaps most of us, when we will have to choose between keeping family happy and following Jesus through a path of obedience and suffering so that others can know about Him. And that is true both here at home or far away among unreached people groups. Young person, young man, young woman, maybe you're here today and, and God forbid your family would say to you, look son, I'm glad you've got a heart for those who've never heard of Jesus, but why don't you just wait a few years before you go off to the mission field? Your grandparents aren't going to be around forever. You're going to miss some of their best years if you do that two-year deal that, that David Platt and Radical have where you can go right out of high school to, to serve among the unreached peoples of the world for two years before you go on to get your college education. If you do that, you're going to miss some of your best years. Young man, young woman, what are you going to say to mom and daddy when they talk to you like that? More importantly, the question is, will you answer Jesus' call no matter what they say? And parents, I just want to beg you, and I can. Do not ever speak a word that could be a barrier to Jesus' plans for your children. And if you're first time here, the reason I say I can, I've got a daughter on the other side of the world serving with Wycliffe Bible Translators, and it ain't easy. But I've prayed. all their lives, that God would not let me get in the way of his use for them. Because here's the thing. He is worthy. He's worthy. So you, mama, you daddy, and I can talk to you like this. I have to talk to me like this. Deal with your emotions in prayer. And in private conversations with people who can understand and, and pray for you. But love Jesus. Hear me. Love Jesus more. Do you, mom? Do you, dad? Love Jesus more than you love your children by surrendering your heart 
to His will in the world and for your kids and for how He wants to use them in this world. We sang it a minute ago, Joseph, Joe, Joseph, Joe. <laughs> we sang it a minute ago. Uh, Jesus, if you surrendered your will to, to, to the Father, so will I. Will you? Really, will you? You sang it. That's where the rubber meets the road, Mom. Daddy, that's where it gets real, real. And just so you know, I praise God that I live in 2020. I'm okay. I miss my baby. But you know what? I can pull, I can pull out this phone right here. I could, do, I could do it standing right here. As a matter of fact, I won't. She's 14 hours ahead of me. Interesting, I, I can about tell you that means it's 2 in the morning there. That just kind of is a clock that goes in my head all the time. I could hit on WhatsApp a, num- a button and see her. Hallelujah. God is good. I praise God for smartphones, if nothing else for that. That's an awesome thing. So I'm, I'm okay. Finally, when Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to relate to him as our closest family, not blood relatives. That's not, that's not finally, that's what we just, we're looking at. Start talking about your baby girl, you kind of get off track a little bit, so there you go. <clears throat> when Jesus calls us to follow him, finally, he calls us to make our lives focus serving him, not our jobs and careers. Jesus said to him, this is his response about going to say goodbye to the family. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You unclear on what he means? You're not. You're just bothered, like me, (laughs) by what he means. (laughs) Never done a lot of plowing. Used to work with my grandpa in the garden with a garden tiller. He did have a, uh, and I've, I've still got it in our basement, one of those push plows. But I've never done the whole animal plowing thing. But, but here's, doesn't matter, tiller, push plow. I bet Joe and David, y'all, y'all old enough, y'all, y'all, y'all did mules and stuff sometime, didn't you? Just kidding, they're not quite that old. Um, but, you know, if you try to plow a straight row, row in a field while doing this, I mean, this is how the plow's going to go, isn't it? Where you turn your heads, where they're, where they're, where they're that's what's going to happen. You'll run the plow all over the place. To plow a straight row, you have to keep your eyes out front and focused on the job at hand. It's that simple. John MacArthur says you can't have a divided heart and follow Jesus. That's what Jesus means here. You can't be, as John Bunyan, who wrote The Pilgrim's Progress, would put it, you can't be in life a Jesus follower and have the name Mr. Facing Both Ways. About dessert after lunch, some of y'all understand what that's about. I mean, you can't face both ways, can you? And yet, that's what we think we can do in following Jesus. We can put the hand to the plow, but we can look back. We can say we're going to follow Jesus and yet live our way. Jesus said, here's the thing. You put your hand to the plow and look back, you're not fit for the kingdom. You're out. You're not even in. You're out. If you don't live with your eyes focused on his kingdom's business, which, by the way, is the Great Commission, it is the mission of mercy, it is taking Jesus' love to those who need it, day in and day out, no matter what your job is, you're not fit for the kingdom. Full stop. 
Is Jesus really worthy? Is he really worth it to like truly revamp our whole lives and prioritize him and the Great Commission to this degree? Is he worth it? He is worthy. And what Jesus is saying is if Jesus, if Jesus really isn't worth your full focus in all of your life, including how you leverage your career and your financial earnings for the fulfillment of the Great Commission, I'm talking about your money, then you're not fit for the kingdom, Jesus said, period. He didn't explain himself any further. He didn't unexplain that. What do you live for? Why do you get out of bed and go to work every day? Is it to love God with all your life and to love your neighbors as yourself and to some, somehow reach someone for Jesus through your work or to financially then be able to support missionaries who go to the unreached peoples stronger than you did yesterday? John Piper says it is unconscionable that disciples of Jesus Christ can go right on pursuing the American dream. But you can have an alternative dream, a dream of breaking loose from the shackles of this self-serving consumer culture, a dream of doing something radical. The more secure you are in God rather than things, the less inclined you are to return evil for evil, and the more open you are to the nitty-gritty involvement of those who are least lovely and most needy. And the more this happens, the more striking and fruitful will be the witness of this local church to the Lord Jesus. When Jesus calls us to follow him, he calls us to make our life's focus serving him. Not our jobs, not our careers. Serving him. The call to follow Jesus is a call to live out his radical mission of mercy in your world. And as we close, I just want to, I wanted to go back. I looked these up right before I came up here. The lyrics of that last song we sang, Joe, so powerful. So will I. I've already referred to some of them. I, I just, this, this is just the gospel. Here's the mission of mercy. God of salvation, you chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created the light of the world, abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred... How about you? When we sang this next line, it just, it, my sin overwhelmed me. It just, just a hundred billion failures. How many sins have you sinned? I don't even know. You don't know. We're not even smart enough to know how much we sin before a holy God. But here's what I know. A hundred billion failures disappear as he speaks mercy into our lives. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've done, every part designed, every, every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. He did. He came on a mission of mercy. Will you surrender to God and live out a mission of mercy like we've talked about? Will you? Because if you look, you can see 8 billion different ways, every precious one, a child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. Will you? Will we give our lives to follow Jesus, which means living a mission of mercy, allowing him to carry on and complete his mission of mercy for all who will ever hear and believe in the name of Jesus. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, what we know is that you are worthy of such a life. You are worthy of us taking the call to follow you, which means answering the call to live out a radical mission of mercy for the world. Living to tell others about Jesus. Living to show others the love of Jesus. Living to leave all judgment to you and tell even our enemies of the love of Christ that can change them just like it did that church-hating, Christian-hater, Jesus-hating rebel called Saul. Your love can change the worst and make, as you did him, make a a rebel, a God-hater, a powerful missionary for Jesus. And we never forget that we were your enemies too. And you loved us. God, I pray that as a church and as individuals, we would get the point. And that we would learn to keep our mouths closed with judgments of people who need Jesus' mercy. They're acting like lost people act. They're acting like I acted before Christ. They're thinking like I thought, like we all thought before grace and mercy flooded our souls. May we get over ourselves and having it right because we've only got it right by the grace of God. And when we focus on their souls and their need for rescue and mercy. And God, I pray if there's any in this room today who's yet to embrace the wonderful mercy of Jesus that we've been talking about, that today you would right now, in this moment, call them to yourself. That they would run to you in prayer. Admit that they're a sinner. Believe Jesus died as their righteousness and as the full redemption price for all their many sins, and that he rose again and lives today, and therefore can save them and forgive them and declare them totally righteous in him and and, and make it so that there is therefore now no condemnation ever again for them because they are clothed in the beauty and righteousness and riches of Jesus. Cause them to run to you that way right now. Give me the, the privilege to lead them to Jesus even as we sing. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and close our time in worship. This altar's open for you to come and respond to the Word of God just however you need to. I'll be right here at the front. If you do need to know Jesus, I'd love to lead you to Him today. Before we go, let's sing.
people said. Amen. amen and amen. Remain standing for just a moment. After we dismiss today, again, parents of our youth and children, all youth and children's workers, we will meet in the choir room uh, for about a 30-minute meeting or so, and so join us there, please. Also, if you would, w- would like to be part of the Pray For Me campaign and you're not, either as a prayer champion, this is your side of the table up here with the black books, or a uh, student who would want to uh, be prayed for by our adults. Orange side, uh, sign up here, and we'll be in contact with you. We'll get you paired up, uh, students to prayer champions and prayer champions to students. So um, make yourself, um, avail yourself of those opportunities to serve and pray. We're going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask Brother Stacy Dyer. Stacy, if you'd come up here so everybody can hear and so the ones joining us by live stream can hear as you close us in prayer. Stacy's our new associational missionary. Um, at at the moment, I think working kind of in tandem with with Claude Mathis, who has officially retired but still hanging around, and 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 they're kind of co-oping the thing for a little while. But Stacy um, comes to us, and, and we're looking forward to how God's going to use you, Stacy. Thanks for being with us today. And if you'll just close us in prayer, right after Stacy says Amen, uh, join if if you're joining us by live stream, we're going to be signing off, and you in the room will be dismissed. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this wonderful morning. Thank you for the great worship that me and Diane experienced with the body of Christ here at East LJ. And God, I just thank you for the message that your man brought to us this morning and reminded us that you're a God of mercy, filled with grace and truth and power. In a world that's so upside down and confused, you're the solid voice. Lord, we thank you for the partnerships of the the adults and the young people here in in the prayer ministry. Lord, as this church seeks a youth minister, God, I pray you send him to touch the next generations. And I pray that this church would be a strong voice, a light on the hill for the gospel, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.